0: there was one time was rowing near shore near a junkyard and the junkyard dog like tried to swim out and bite the boat three of the top five claims ever they've had three six-figure flood loss claims we're not going to say we're not going to say who they are but they know don't they
1: this is the rower's choice podcast This is Alex Del Sordo with a, another Rowers' Choice podcast, and I am with, uh, I'm, with a, I'm with a, I'm with an insurance guy. But let me get into this. So, if you are a rower in the United States and uh, you go up to another row and you say, or a coach and say, "Who's your insurance provider?" 99% of the time, you're going to hear Leonard Insurance, and the name is synonymous to U.S. Rowing and insurance. He uh, he is not the founder, but he is third or. fourth. Soon to be third generation. He's the third generation uh, of a almost 100-year company. Uh, we're with John Leonard. So, John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here.
0: Happy to be here.
1: Um, so, as I said, synonymous. I mean, you've been doing this a long time. Yep. Uh, and, I, and and before we started, we're going to get in the history of it, but you said that your dad was the one that started insuring boats in the 1960s. Correct. This This makes you the second oldest company in America providing a service for the rowing industry. So congratulations.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. I actually didn't make that connection until, <laughs> until you mentioned it.
1: Well, then there we go. So let's, uh, let's get into the history of Leonard Insurance. Where did it start? When did it start? And uh, how have we gotten to um, third and now soon to be fourth generation with your son?
0: OK, so Leonard Insurance goes back to the Great Depression in the late 20s, early 30s, where my grandfather was a bank vice president. The Depression took out the bank. And he had four, well, three kids at the time, fourth on the way, and had to do something. So he got into the insurance business and just started putting flyers on windshields and basically started a small insurance agency. And
1: uh, It seems a lot harder to do that now than ever before. Thanks. But um, it seems it seems like it'd be a lot harder now than it was back in the 1930s. To, just start, to start an
0: insurance agency would be a challenge today compared to how it was because it's just so much more regulations. It's a very regulated business. Um, licensing is all different now. It's very daunting to get licensed in various states. It's, I know it's, it's miserable. It's miserable. Yeah, I can't imagine. And you've got underwriters that can be a pain in the ass. I'm fortunate. I've had some great underwriters, especially with rowing. I mean, I'll when we get to that part of this, my I've been extremely fortunate to have a great underwriter for the last 15, 20 years.
1: So then, your your your, your grandfather started. Where was? The company started. What city? What so he, town? He
0: lived in Philadelphia, and, oh, okay. and the agency started with him at, at his house. I've actually got this ancient um, sign he hung out the side of his house. Oh wow! And it was a corner property, you know, in the uh, whatever section of Philadelphia, East Oak Lane. East Oak Lane. And um, so after that, he, he eventually had a couple of other partners, and they and then they called the agency Herb Leonard and Trenay after the three guys that ran it. It was kind of like three distinct businesses, but pooling resources. Then my dad joined after he got out of the Korean War. He had gone to Cornell, was looking to be a veterinarian, but decided that wasn't the way to go. And then got involved with the insurance business. And um, my grandfather was a rower. He was um, a member of Undine Barge Club like me. He was treasurer for I don't know how many years and um so my dad joined undine well wow, so i had no idea
1: so your grandfather was a rower for undine yep and now i don't know 60 70 years later you're the president right is that right currently uh, president. current yeah. president of undine wow so yeah. three generations of rowers in that club
0: yep yeah, wow yeah.
1: that's an american story right there man a Little. Bit,
0: i think we're the only that i'm aware of three generational members of the club wow my grandfather like i said he was treasurer i'm not sure what other offices he uh held my dad held every office he said except for president, and the advice to me was never become president.
1: <laughs> you're not going to listen to that one. <laughs> and
0: Unfortunately, I didn't take that advice because it's phone calls and emails every day.
1: Yeah, it's funny how in rowing, um, specifically coaches, coaching, because that's what I know, mm-hmm. you, you, you're paid like it's a part-time job. In your case, you're probably not paid. You're just a, It's a volunteer president position, right. but it becomes your full-time job. It's 40, 50 hours a week.
0: No, it's not 40 or 50 hours a week, because I've got to put 40 or 50 hours a week in a dad bail, too. <laughs> oh, because you're with dad bail. That's right. Um,
1: so, Okay, so I just wanted to the history part, because like, yeah. you got a, you got a, your own story. Uh, so your father took over in the 1950s, 60s. Is that right? 1960s? Yeah, I mean, they
0: were in it together for I don't know exactly how many years they overlapped. My grandfather eventually retired. And then my dad, the agency had several locations in Philadelphia. I can remember as a kid, you know, as a little kid going into a... Big office building, you open down the elevator it was a just a neat thing for a you know six sure. year old kid to do. And um, eventually he moved the uh, he moved to the suburbs and then moved his the insurance agency out to the suburbs, Narberth, Pennsylvania, where the agency was for probably I didn't do the math in my head. I'm going to say twenty years or something sure. in Narberth. And he had a partner. But he coached at Penn. My dad coached at Penn for 27 years. And he, what was his position at Penn? He was Lightweight Varsity Coach. Really? And actually, he had such a good bunch of guys that wrote for him that uh, a couple years ago they raised over a million dollars to endow the position in his name. So now they've got this chunk of money set aside. So that the salary for the Varsity Lightweight Coach is now the Fred Leonard Pen Lightweight Coach, whatever these. Holy was. cow. So that was kind of a neat Dude, this is,
1: I mean, I'm learning something new here, too. So your dad yep. was not only the head coach of a program, but he was running an insurance agency yep. at the same time.
0: Yeah. Prior to the Penn coaching, he coached the <coughs> Undine Barge Club and the Hereford School. He had a ton of national champions at the Hereford School. And all these guys are now, well, my dad unfortunately passed away. It'll be three years this August. But um, so the guys that he coached in the Hereford School are all guys in there. You know, some were... Crowd in eighty now. Sure, sure. And, and back then, you know, you didn't always have a coaching loss. He coached out of a single. You'd get, wow! You get out there and run with the guys. You kidding? That's how he coached.
1: Oh my goodness gracious! So then, during that U Penn era, I mean, he was with some amazing coaches on the on the varsity men's side. Oh
0: yes, yeah. Dan Bergman, Ted Nash. Yeah,
1: yeah, legends. Yeah. I mean, legends of Philadelphia and South for me, South Jersey. I mean Joe Burke. Yeah, I mean, this is incredible. So then, you, you, well, your dad, your dad. If I remember the story, as you're telling me. He was the one that said, all right, we're going to start a rowing insurance section of our business, right?
0: It didn't happen quite that way. It wasn't a actual let's do this thing. It was, hey, Fred, can you insure my boat? You guys on Boathouse Row, like, hey, these things are worth money. This is back when a stamp was 500 bucks. Um,
1: <laughs> so these boats for a period of time were not being insured at all.
0: No, I don't think people cared about insurance back then <laughs> as much. As much yeah. compared to now. I mean, it's, compared to now. yeah, wow. And of course, everything was wood back then. And they were hardier boats, too. And you didn't have a, um, you know, not to cast dispersions on the repair industry, but you don't have some guy charging $135 an hour to fix carbon fiber because it's such a skill now. Sure. Back then, you needed a capable woodworker, but they weren't, it wasn't the same thing as it is now. Wow. As far wow. as repair costs go.
1: So, so really, your dad and, and Leonard Insurance played a hand in creating the insurance business for rowing yeah, in, was, North, in North America.
0: It was an organic thing. Wow. And it just grew slowly over the years. Um, long around, I was, I worked in the agency as a high school kid or, you know, during college breaks, just doing. Well, where did you go in stuff. high school? I wrote Harrington High School for, okay. for my high school years. And then I went from there on to Boston University.
1: Well, I see, I see the, 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 the sign here in your, in your office, your varsity letter. I wish I had something like that when I went to uh, GW, but Varsity Men's Crew, 1983. Was yeah. that your senior year right That's there? my senior year, yeah. 1983, wow, look at that. I, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna joke with you. I mean, I know your sons are about my age, but I wasn't born yet, so uh, I'm not born until 1985. But, so you have a Bachelor of Science from uh, BU. You rowed for the program. Yep. Um, how'd you guys do when you were there?
0: Yeah, pretty well. My, um, I'll give my dad some credit for that Varsity letter. My uh, rowing career in college was nothing stellar. I was in the third varsity, you know, up into my senior year. Mm-hmm. Then come winter break, he had his crews going to Florida, which he did every year, like teams do. Sure. BU went spring break. So over the winter break, he had 23 guys going to Florida, and he was short a guy. Mm-hmm. So I went as the 24th guy to fill up the third eight um, and got, you know, two weeks of twice a day's in wow. on my entire team. I came back. I was winning the ERG contests. Oh, sure. And kicking butt. And next thing I knew was in the varsity eight. Wow. And oh we, my God. We had a good season. We probably, I think we went, I don't know, four and two or something the yeah. other season. So I got a good bunch of shirts. Good. You, do you remember who you beat? We beat, let's see, I think, I'm trying to think who we lost to. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's who you remember. <laughs> but I think um, Syracuse, definitely. I think Northeastern, um, Brown. So I don't Dartmouth, remember.
1: I don't know who was the fast crew in in the 1980s. Columbia Columbia was like the... Uh, Oh, the fast
0: crew was in the 80s, heavyweights. Um, Harvard was always good. Princeton was always good. Yale was usually pretty good. Brown, I think that was... I'm trying to think of Gladstone was coaching Brown. So like the
1: late 70s was the smooth and rude crew, you know, at Harvard. But I I lose it. I I don't have a good memory of who the top crews were in the early 80s. I remember the late 80s and the 90s, I can tell you who won the IRAs there, but Mm -hmm. it's your era that I still don't quite remember.
0: Yeah, B was not a big powerhouse back then. They graduated from the Dadville. Who was the
1: head coach back then?
0: My coach was uh, Bill Miller.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, Yeah. all right, yeah. So, I mean, good names. I mean, people that you've been around. So, at what point did you take over the the company here?
0: So, I was uh, in the engineering business for about 10 years doing software engineering, and it's actually my dad's partner who recruited me down for the business more than my dad. My dad was never pushy about me being in the insurance business. He always wanted it, I think, but wasn't gonna like say, hey, you need to be in the family business. Sure. So I went down and had a talk with John Cantrell, who's the, who was my dad's place, you know, number two guy. Sure. He was my dad's captain at Penn in the 60s. Oh, wow, so you, so you keep that
1: family close. Yep. Wow.
0: So um, you know, he painted a fairly decent picture of you know the insurance business. I'm like, okay, as an engineer, I'm probably never gonna own my own company. Yeah. But this is a family business and, you know, X number of years in the future, I'll maybe I'll own this thing hmm. and have, you know, good financial opportunity with it and control my own fate, that sort of thing. And um, it, was, it wasn't, I won't say it was rocky, but it wasn't super, super smooth sailing at the beginning. I, I did, I think I had a natural inclination, certainly for the rowing end of things. Yeah, you so have I, a good
1: background in rowing in general, so yep. you definitely know it. So
0: I combined my software background with my engineering background and kind of took the, at the time it was a pretty decent sized insurance program for the equipment. Like mm-hmm. we, the main thing was to insure the boats. Yeah, right. There was other policies to insure buildings and, you know, the club auto if they had a towing truck um, liability, that sort of thing. But most, mostly it was the boats to insure them for physical damage. And I developed a program with Microsoft Access that just made that a much more efficient thing. And that continued to develop over the years and really made for streamlining the insurance business in our agency so that we can handle a bigger volume of business with fewer people because the computer does a good chunk of the work.
1: So now, I don't know, you're in your 50s, late 50s, early 60s. -hmm. You're in charge of, you're, you're a board member of the Dad Vale.
0: That that happened very early in my insurance career. Innocently enough, I'm in there with my dad at, in the insurance business, and this is probably 94. And Jack Galloway, who at the time was president of the Dad Vale, mm-hmm. and he um, just kind of came in for an insurance meeting or whatever. Hey, you ought to come to a Dad Vale meeting. And little did I know, that sealed my fate. At, <laughs> and I also wish I'd known at the time that, you know, Join the Dadvale was a lifetime appointment, but that's, that's the way that works. How many
1: members are on the Dadville committee?
0: It's, uh, there's some active members and some members that are not, you don't see all the time because they're from out of town and stuff. So I think there's probably 20, low 20s on the actual board. And there's probably a dozen that are reasonably active and, and a core group from that that are you know, really active.
1: And now you also are the president of Undine. When did you take that position?
0: That one. Um, so I was secretary of like the recording secretary mm-hmm. for probably eleven years. Then I got talked into being vice president. And so i uh, One good thing about president of Undine is it's a five-year commitment. Oh, it's basically a, it's a, okay. It's, it's, a, a, it's a commitment. Yeah, every year you get reelected if if they'll if they'll have you so to speak. And then, but it's a five-year limit. We had one president in the past that kind of was like the Franklin Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. he was a president for like 19 years yeah. and he was great uh, you know mr robin hold anybody that ever heard that name but he's another legend in undine rowing lightweight another lightweight guy he um after he had his term as president they decided eh, let's let's make it a 5 year limit which <laughs> mm-hmm. after a year and change i'm happy it's a 5 year limit
1: now you have now so you're you're doing a lot now i see pictures of your kids you mm-hmm. have they would be the fourth generation um, of the business. Now, I think you know me, you've known me for about 7-8 years. My dad and I work together hand yeah. in hand, right? So you're I guess in a very similar situation. Mm-hmm. Do all of your children work work with you or what how does that dynamic?
0: Right now it's just one son in the business. Yeah. Another one, Dan, ones, Dan, Dan right? right? And then my son Tim is possibly a son in the business, but he's a uh, chef and that's not a Easy job. They they, yeah, they're, they're, yeah,
1: you, that they they do not connect. <laughs> I
0: mean. He's worked in here a little bit, but um, the chef, the the food industry in general is a rough go. Like they just don't pay their people well, and you get the short end of the stick to put it politely. And then, um, so he's he's still a maybe for the insurance business. And then my youngest is uh, he just turned twenty three. He graduated from St. Joe's with a business degree. Mm. So from a school perspective, he actually would be the most reasonable one out of anybody in the family that has the right degree to be in the insurance Sure, business. right. Well, I mean, you have in... a
1: software engineering degree. you have a Bachelor of Science. So. Yeah,
0: so I I, that, I will say that teaches you how to think but it's not a business degree. That's okay so I understand that. I can problem solve, which is really what I look at insurance as solving someone's problem and the goal is, you know, are we have the best solution for you. Like I, I'm in a fortunate enough position that we don't have to write every policy that comes down the road. Mm-hmm. Basically, I'm going to write your insurance if if I think we're doing the right thing for you because if you write somebody's coverage and you're just talking them into it and th- that's gonna walk away there's no it's not good for either side I understand that. so you want to be able to be the solution that's gonna be a long-term thing and you develop a relationship trust all that goes along with it it's it's the way to do business
1: well for someone who's been in the industry for a long time I bet you have a lot of really good stories of damaged boats now I love when you call me and you say, mm-hmm. "I got a damaged boat' yes. now, <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite pastimes, <laughs> but um, I, I, you know again, having been in the industry and and there's this there's this really popular because everyone knows it it's the, it's your it's your row uh, rowing rowing news advertisement of just pure destruction of boats yep. do you can you think of a fun story that you can look back at now and laugh at of like crazy damage of rowing shells
0: i mean not always is it how much is damaged, but it's how it happened okay. is, is more of the interesting thing in some cases. Um, animals tend to be more interesting claims. I've got a ton of those, and some I don't actually I'm Trying to remember. There was one time someone had a, was rowing near shore near a junkyard, and the junkyard dog like, tried to swim out and bite the boat.
1: Oh, my God. What? Yeah. A junkyard dog.
0: A junkyard dog was swimming after the swim. Now, is that one of
1: those things where the guy's trying to make a claim and, and it's like me going to my mom and saying, hey, my the dog ate my homework? The, the, dog, I mean, ate
0: my, the dog ate my empire. Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. Has, it, do you think that he was just trying to get a claim or did that actually happen?
0: I, I don't think I actually paid out on that one because I don't think – I think that was more of a uh, – uh, what's the term? Uh, City legend, whatever that
1: is. <laughs> A, dog, a yeah. dog eating an empacher. thats hilarious.
0: We've had some collisions with manatees in the Florida area. Oh wow! So those, and they generally, manatee versus both manatee wins.
1: I can imagine. Um,
0: I'm trying to think. I think we have we might have one alligator thing once, but I, I don't have any details on that because it was so long ago. And there's been sometimes the pictures are more interesting than what actually happened. Like if there's a trailer flip. Yeah, sure. You know. Stuff happens to the boats. I can picture this one. I try and save the pictures, and now I don't have them. one I wanted to find. There was this upside-down car with a single underneath it. And I just could—I remember when it happened, and I put the picture aside somewhere. This is back when you had hard copy pictures. Sure. It wasn't like a scanned image or anything. And I just can't find that picture. That would have made a great ad.
1: So you're saying to me that a car was driving, it, it had a boat it, on the roof, and it was it flipped.
0: It was upside down with the boat.
1: Holy cow. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so that, that is, that, that oh, I can't, oh, I don't even know how to react to that. <laughs> like I, I would probably tell you, I could fix it. I oh could, yeah, I could.
0: <laughs> my joke about repair guys is you give them a splinter, they'll say I can make a boat out of that.
1: That's exactly right, yeah, I mean, uh, there's a special breed of people that I think we f- always feel that we can always fix something. Um, yeah. You know, we we get claims, I mean, when you work with us, there's been, I don't know, at this point the last seven, eight years together, there's probably been 40 or 50, maybe more Of like people running up onto rocks and like stopping on rocks. Oh, I I had a great one. I should
0: have have put it aside for you, but you know, like the boats in the air. Yeah, like the bow is yeah completely out because it's on some log. It's like how hard did you have to be going and not see this huge thing? I say that all the
1: time. I'm like, how do you get into that position?
0: And I've had people ask me, well, what what about making an electronic thing like you know, like cars have all this vision stuff? Sure, right. And you know, stuff that's going to like look ahead and do all this kind of stuff. It's like, well, there's there's probably a future there somewhere for that as, as time goes on. So, you know, the next You know, Cox I'm going I'm I'm to write this out. I'm going to
1: steal this idea from you if this is a real thing.
0: <laughs> I love it. I think I just took a little bit further than I thought about it before. Like <laughs> They're talking about something that would look ahead, but you could have something that actually had radar. Like I think about a car that has like night vision. That's and right, stuff. yeah. So they could definitely radar and look for stuff. Well, you know, you know some...
1: cars, I mean, the car that I own is less expensive than most of the boats that we sell at Resolute, right? Or most of the boats that we even sell in the used marketplace. So this equipment is very expensive, right? And yeah. I know that you know that, but they get damaged all the time. I mean, it happens all the time. That's why there's businesses yep. around this, right? Around this sport that you can repair things. We, uh, my favorite one with you was hail damage of a boat in, like, Minnesota or something. Mm-hmm. And when we got it back... It was like someone took a shotgun and blew oh. all the way down the boat.
0: Right. Probably it was had
1: unbelievable.
0: A couple hundred miles Oh hundreds. One. Hundreds. And yeah.
1: then I remember I remember my dad saying, like, you really think you should you know, fix this? And he gets all pissed <laughs> yeah. off because yeah. like he was the one that was right, filling all the, out one the holes. Do it. <laughs> yeah. And I said, Well, Dad, I mean, we're gonna sell this thing in the future. I promise you, like, this is worth it. And he just mumbles and goes off into the sunset. He's like, rah rah rah. And he like, yep. fixes this thing. But I that that it's not an exciting story, but Driving to Minnesota and getting that boat and seeing a hundred little holes all around that boat, you you wonder like how hard was this storm coming down? Where why was this boat put in that position? It was a pretty wild experience for us. Um,
0: well, hail does the same thing to cars too. Like we've had car claims with hail damage, and it takes much bigger hail usually to, da- to dent a car. It's oh metal. sure, yeah, yeah. But the carbon um,
1: fiber, I mean, in some cases you can just take a little tack hammer and smack it and break yep. it. We had uh, our our most famous East Coast uh, DC one was when a team of novices put the boat in gu- it slings guts up and it rained the whole day uh, and the boat just went pow like smacked like cracked right in half. That was uh, I don't I mean I th- I'm pretty sure you had that claim. Um,
0: we we've had some um, claims where like a boat was sitting in slings on the ground like little you know itty bitty yeah sure singles. sure and someone just you know some novice spectator has no idea what's going on. I wonder what it's like to sit in a single.
1: Oh, no, man. 200 pounds, bang. Boom,
0: that's the end of that single. (laughs) I can can remember one picture. I'm not sure. I think I used it for an ad or not. But it was like a boat that flew off on the highway. And it bounced and was like just banged up and bent. And it was like part way over a median. And just the nose of the boat kind of looked like a, literally like a nose. Like it looked like the boat was trying to crawl Uh and get out and just get out of the street or something. It <laughs> yeah. looked like it was trying to actively climb the guardrail. That
1: is awesome. Now, um, what made headline news in some rowing programs was uh, U.S. Rowings um, national team was driving across the country and the boat, uh, the entire trailer flipped and all the boats just broke in half. Can you, because I don't know what happens next. From an insurance perspective, what are the next moves if something like that ever happened okay. to a program?
0: So with us... We have two levels of claims, I'll call it. I I personally settle most of the claims that come in here. Where if it's just a single or a couple of boats, it'll start with a phone call or an email. We have a one page claim form. Mm -hmm. People fill that out. And then they send that back to me. Usually, digital pictures are enough to describe the damage. Then I say, you get to pick where you want to have things fixed. If it's obviously a total loss, Sometimes it's marginally a total loss, so I'll send you or some you know manufacturer yep. the pictures and the description and just get an email saying, yeah, this boat's toast, it's not happening. If it's one of those things where it's a functional total loss, that's where you would come in as salvage, and a lot of times a boat's not going to be able to get back to quite 100%, but it's going to get back to where it's going to be a nice boat, and then finish line can come along and put it back in shape. The insured gets a new boat, someone else gets a repaired boat, and it actually is good for... Everybody.
1: Sure. Yeah, insurance. no, we... we we've, makes
0: out. You guys make out. It was it really the well. It makes out because you get a salvage check. But in a big, big claim like that when once in a while the insurance, com- the insurance company, we're lucky, they trust us. And most of the time, the only time they're involved in the claim is I send them all the support work for the claim and they cut the check. Mm-hmm. So they just I wrap it up with a bow, send it in, then I get an email to check one out, and then I email the insured, hey, your check's on its way. But sometimes it's back and forth. Um, you'll get a claim where people, well, you may or may not be surprised how little people understand about insurance and what isn't, isn't covered. Like I had a claim today on a launch where she told me, I hope she, she's going to hear this podcast too. Um, <laughs> so no names will be used. No names, innocence. no names. So this launch, the coach had banged it up and really put a hole in one of the pontoons and it sank. Yep. Wow. So they get someone to, to quote up fixing it and I can show you. Thing so here's the repair invoice, and it's like yep. okay, fix the big hole. Oh, we're gonna fix that one and that one and that one, and all these holes are different claims. Like right. They were, they were yeah. hoping that insurance is gonna pay seven grand to fix this boat. It's a lot of money, yeah. But this would be eight, like each incident is a claim, so it's not a maintenance policy. Like if you bang up your launch right over the course of a year, we'll pay for if you you know if you put a hole in your in your pontoon, and it's a thousand dollars to fix. We'll pay for that less deductible, no problem. But if while it's in there, like, oh, let's patch this other hole for 200 bucks, like, well, when did that happen? Oh, that's less than deductible. You really can't cover maintenance type stuff. It's just like a homeowner's policy where if your roof goes bad, they don't pay you for a new roof. Mm -hmm. But if your roof goes bad and lets water in, they'll pay for the water damage, not the cost to fix the roof. That makes sense. Like, when this launch sank, it took the motor with it, so we're going to pay a total loss on the motor. Mm. That's fair game. So we can pay for the one hole and the motor, but we can't pay for all the other little itty-bitty things. That are just routine wear and tear items. So, uh,
1: that, I mean, that makes total sense to me. because I mean, we, we, we deal with this every day. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. You're you're exposed to insurance. So you've got a clue about it. But yeah. To, the, to, to explain that to someone for the first time I was like, oh, yeah. I guess I guess each of those would be a claim. And most people are reasonable about it, and I'm pretty thoughtful about how and I don't come down on like a ton of bricks. So like, yeah. I yeah. Said I wish I could work with you. So I'm like, what can I do for you to get as much out of this as I can for you? But the insurance company's not going to cover. Anywhere near all this stuff.
1: So, but with this total loss, with this massive trailer uh, that flips, that's, right? that's going like, to be a tough one. What? Where? Where did? Where did? Where did they even start with that? I mean, you're talking about a quarter of a million dollars worth of boats. Yeah. Right.
0: So, again, you might come into to the picture if any of those are salvageable. Mm, but yep. by and large, you're going to go to the list of boats that they had insured. Okay, that boat was listed for thirty-two thousand. That one was listed for forty-one. You know, that single is listed for 12, whatever whatever they were. Sure, sure, that sure. It sure. Up. Depending on the company, most companies have a one deductible per incident, but there's certainly one or two out there that are deductibles per boat. So that's when, if that saves you money up front, in this kind of an event, it hurts. Like if you had a $1,000 per boat deductible and you damaged 10 boats, and mm. all of a sudden your deductible's 10 grand.
1: Well... I think the more devastating thing is what happens now with a team that is out of boats, right? Because manufacturers cannot build them that fast in some cases. Uh, And there's literally nothing that they can do aside from put them as as a claim, right?
0: Right. One of the things that's different about this kind of insurance compared to like an auto policy is we don't include loss of use coverage. So you don't have an auto equivalent of rental reimbursement. So if you're going to have your cars in the shop, we're going to pay you X dollars a day to, to rent something. To rent something. We, that's never been a covered thing in any equipment policy that I've been aware of for, for me or anybody else. It's just not been part of it.
1: Well, yeah, I think you know how my mind works. I mean, I'm, I'm, now I'm thinking, how the heck do we do that? Because at Finish Line specifically, Rower's Choice, we have 70 used boats that are just sitting there, mm-hmm. not collecting dust because we're trying to sell them, but they're just, they're just there available. Um, and we've run into programs all the time. I mean there's a program in South Carolina or North Carolina where there was a flood and they lost seven or eight boats yeah. I mean, overnight, right? Yep. And, if they had, it's not, and, and they don't have money to be able to support buying new boats, or in some cases, manufacturers can't build them fast enough.
0: That's usually the case.
1: Usually the case. I mean, it's devastating to, to watch that happen given the time of year. Now with the coronavirus all happening, I mean, right. Everybody's it's a perfect storm.
0: The, right. Well, that's, that's another whole... I, we could go down the coronavirus thing later, but I wanted to hit one other point. that I think the rowing community in general is a great bunch of people. Yeah. I'll put rowers as a cross-section of humanity up against any other thing you want to pick. And the rowing community, by and large, will step up and help out a program that got the short end of the stick. Now U.S. rowing is probably a different category than, you're at, than the one you are naming from South and North Carolina, but I'm sure there are people that will let them borrow boats while they're piecing this together.
1: There's no question. I mean, we, um, I think it was Philadelphia City Rowing Mm -hmm. lost two boats recently. And it was their novice boats. And we reached out and said, hey, look, look, we'll just give you the boats to use. We're not going to give you our best equipment, but Mm -hmm. something to use. Um, And it's funny how in the rowing community, that is the gut reaction to everybody. And I know that. I know that's the case across all all rowing clubs.
0: I'm not positive. I think I donated the insurance for those boats. You did for one of them, you did. Yeah, one of them. So that
1: was. was, that was... That one they still have, luckily. But it was two eights that fell off the racks during a, winter, a storm that we had recently. And they were trying to fund $20,000. And instead of us giving money, we are just like, hey, you know what? Why don't we just support you in another way and give you some boats? Yeah, yeah. it is. It's nice, It's nice to know that there's that many people out there in our sport that would do that. And yep. given your position, I mean, I'm sure you see it often.
0: Yeah, I mean, whenever something comes up in the club, there's... Any number of people that'll step up and donate to something or jump in and help. Lots of volunteers doing every I mean a, a boat club like Undine is nothing but volunteers and it's sure. crazy how many people step up to do any like now that I, I see it more as president than I saw it at any other level of officership I've had in the past. I'm sure. I mean you're and the top you're the, at great. the top. And but I get you know, I now I get to appreciate what all these people are doing.
1: So I wanna um I wanna transition into um, knowledge for people education so you, as you said earlier, people with this claim with this big claim people really don 't know the details of a policy or people don 't understand how to really get started in that um let's ask, let 's ask let me ask you the first question if sure. i 'm new if i 'm a new coach and what? I have a new program and I get ten used boats or i get get going what 's my next move, and how do I ensure these things, and okay. what am I expecting
0: sure. Couple couple scenarios for how that could work out. I just had an email the other day from a coach that was extremely fledgling program, had some donated boats, some bubble gum and string yeah. together boats. He was like he wants to insure them and I'm you know, I'm expecting X thousand dollars worth of boats and he sends me this list of what they're worth and the boats together, you know, didn't even get to a thousand dollars. I'm like, there's no way I'm selling you insurance to, you know, by the time you do the deductible and pay the premium if you lost everything, you're going to net $400 or something out of the coverage. Sure, sure. So it makes no sense for you to do insurance on a physical damage standpoint. You still need liability coverage, and that's probably really all you need. And they were, I think, a sub-member of another club, so I was like, you know, maybe... Well,
1: can you really quickly explain liability versus um, sure. uh, the other claim, like the other insurance? So it... there's,
0: I will say there's three key policies that an insurance organization should have. Okay. One is physical damage on their boats, Yeah. and that's the one you're most likely to use. But if you don't insure that stuff, the only one getting hurt is you. So there's really no – again, you're the only exposing yourself by not insuring it. Okay. So we can describe that later as to what, how to go back and forth with that. Then there's liability insurance, which is if you are found responsible or negligent or something to where you hurt somebody else and they're coming after you, whether it's a lawyer or just someone saying, hey, it could be a small thing like, hey, you ran into my boat and put a ding in it and it's going to be $1,000 to fix – give me my thousand dollars or you you know god forbid something horrible you know someone gets seriously injured or dies we've had death claims where someone's dead and someone's saying hey their lawyer or their spouse or their estate is saying you're responsible for this horrible Mm -hmm. bodily injury or death and we're looking for five hundred thousand a million dollars whatever the number might be almost everything else is in between like some kind of modest injury that's yeah. worth X thousand dollars. Yeah, I can
1: just picture like getting hit with a rigger or something and you, right. whatever, okay.
0: Um, and or someone's responsible for a, an equipment damage. Now it's, and there's two different scenarios there. Like if you're just out rowing and you hit a log, that's not a liability thing. Mm-hmm. You have to actually be responsible for damaging someone else's equipment. A better okay. example is if there's a trailer full of boats and a car runs into it. So you're parked at a stop plate, stopped at a stop plate. And a car backs and in, uh, runs into you, and, and knocks off the stern of three boats. That autopolis is going to have to pay for the damage to the boats. Okay. Yeah. Likewise, if it happened on the water, um, same thing if you. Like I, I had a liability claim myself. I was bowing a quad. The fin was bent. Couldn't make the corner at Columbia. Mm. And we hit a single and broke a rigger off. Luckily, we didn't know that nobody, nobody got hurt. Nobody flipped or anything. And liability coverage paid to fix. The broken boat.
1: Okay, easy enough. I understand that. Now, liability, the physical damage of the boats, and what's the...
0: There's another one that U.S. Rowing, we offer it too, but directors and officers coverage is for an organization. And honestly, that's the least likely coverage ever to be used because it's for a financial harm to somebody through a bad decision. Hmm. So my best example of that is if the coach didn't put Billy in the Varsity 8 and he didn't get his scholarship to Princeton because of that, And it was more of a personal reason. You know, he had the good ERG scores. He was capable, and the coach just had a thing. And the parents can make a case that he should have been in that eight, that won nationals, and now he's not getting a scholarship. And if if they could make a case, they could pursue. A director's office of policy would pay up on that.
1: Wow. I mean, that is that's an out there claim. Yeah, highly unlikely. But I. I, But there's other lesser.
0: There's other lesser. um, You know, didn't like U.S. Ryan could have one if you didn't make the Olympic team, and the and, and you can make a case that you should have that'll be a D&O claim.
1: Wow. So okay, so then I'm okay, so I'm a new coach. I I get my boats. I get say I get $20,000 worth of boats. Yep. What am I doing? You
0: you're, you're going to give me a call, say hey, we'll discuss what insurance you're looking for, the timing of it. Um, there's really not a lot of options. There's like the deductible is the main option you're picking. Mm-hmm. But other than that it's a pretty fixed rate times value thing. So if you've got $10,000 worth of boats and you pick this deductible, it's going to be x100 dollars a year to cover them. Okay. So if he's got 20 grand worth of boats, it's simple arithmetic to come up with how much it's going to cost, and usually, it usually usually costs more than you think. But um, these, you know, as much as I do, that stuff happens to boats, and you're going to use, <coughs> you're going to eventually use this coverage.
1: Well, there's no question. I don't think. I mean, I I can't imagine there's been a single customer that has not used an insurance claim on any boats that we've ever fixed ever. I think that we've run into it's been in every program we've worked with. They've had at least one claim in the last eight years. Yeah. Is it just like the auto industry where the lower the deductible, the higher, what how does it work? If yeah, my deductible but, is $500, the higher the premium is going to be?
0: Right. If you go, like for us, we, we start with a 250 deductible. That's what it was years ago and that's always been our base deductible. Mm-hmm. And you go up from there, you can go up to five. I think we even had $10,000 once. And we had one customer with a $75,000 flood loss deductible because they were responsible for, I think, three of the top five claims ever. They've had, Three six-figure flood loss claims. Holy we're not going to say who they are, but they know, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> that
1: is, wow! Like, how do you? Shame on me the first time or first time, like, ah, yeah, whatever. Shame on me the second time. I mean, how do you not know?
0: It's and it hasn't happened in years now. <laughs> like they're finally beyond any kind of claims issues with their policy yeah. aged off, and um, but my company's like well, we're not going to insure them again until we put a stiff. Flood only deductible on there.
1: So, okay. Well, it's interesting. It's it
0: a weird thing. It was like how the river, or not the river, but the water went through the city and out. And yeah. went through their their basin where they rode. And just, well, you know how the weather's been crazy yeah, in the last right. X number of years. And they had their you know 500-year flood two or three times.
1: Well, you know, I got to tell you, I, was, I rode for Marietta College one year. And the 100-year flood hit. And it was 2005, and I'll never forget this. Like, we tied our coxswains with rope around the waist to a pole because the water was ripping so bad. And they made us move every boat up a massive hill out of the way. And I think Marietta lost two boats that time because we couldn't get to them fast enough. But, you know, it's wow. it's it, it blows my mind having been to many, many boathouses. We're so close to major waterways. We're so close to damage opportunities like they're 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 just there's a they're itching to get damaged right these things are itching to get damaged
0: and we cover flood i mean that's one of the main things like as far as broad policies go the equipment coverage form that we have to cover the the shells we insure is probably the broadest coverage form period like it yeah. covers flood it covers earthquake and most policies totally don't what, cover about what about
1: auto what about autos does it also cover that As teams are driving, and let's say the guy, they forgot to strap a boat and it fell off. Oh, yeah. It's all on that?
0: Yeah, any kind of transportation is covered. Um, So when you say auto, it doesn't cover an auto. Auto policies have to cover an auto liability. If you hit something with your trailer or the boat flies off the trail, that's all going to go to the auto policy. Okay. Of the towing vehicle. But as far as, like, if the boat's underway, whether it's on a car, on a trailer, van, whatever, something happens to it, if we're covering it and something happens to it there, we're certainly paying the claim mm. on the damage to the boat.
1: Yeah. I think there's a, of, there's a lot of gray area in that, I think, from what I've experienced. People like pointing fingers and trying to, trying to take blame.
0: I mean, I'll use the phrase we pay for stupid. So if someone just forgets to tie down a strap, <laughs> like, you know, the boat was tied down the front but not the back, and, you know, as soon as they got up to 30 miles an hour, off it went, um, we're going to pay that claim. Like, it's, it, was, it was unintentional.
1: Unintentional, yeah. Like if someone
0: Un- takes a hammer to it, but we're not going to pay that. But if someone just screws up and doesn't do what they should have done, you know, check the straps or what have you every time you stop, and it fails, or use a, you know, even using old straps, like we have these little guidelines we help people read. Um, I should like put secret phrases in there, like, if, if you read this and call first, you're getting your 50 bucks, and I bet nobody would call. First. No, yeah, I think you're right.
1: Um, I, I have a question uh, that, that popped in my head here. Um, when, when you buy a brand new rowing boat, it's anywhere from 12,000 for a single, but it could be 60,000 for an eight. Yep. Does, how does the value of the boat decrease over time? How have you seen that with insurance? That,
0: that varies. There's different manufacturers will use different formulas. And then there's just seat of the pants, what's the boat worth kind of stuff. I tend to try and help somebody from a range standpoint. So I'll say, hey, I'm, I can look at my database and I can say, oh, okay, we've got, you know, 15, twenty thousand you know, twenty sixteen flippy singles, and they're ranging from, you know, eight to twelve. Mm-hmm. And I can look and I, I can sort it and say, okay, the average is this, and give you a number. But um, I've seen, you know, people say, take, take the New price, take ten percent off for the first year, and then five percent for X number of years after that. I just saw one the other day, which was a different wacky number of percentages. I should have cut and pasted it, but I hmm. was doing too many different things to keep track of it. I don't remember if it was Fluid or Hudson or who it was. Um, but that you know, it's something X percent a year, and then that that of course doesn't last all that many years because pretty soon you know, right? You could be beyond the value of the boat, and a boat that's still you know, a twenty-year-old boat that still floats is still worth something. It's not worth zero.
1: Do you, so. Do you do that with your with your with the customers? I mean, do you?
0: We give them a range. So we basically have a rule of thumb that says anything five years old or less, you can insure up to the cost of a new boat. Because if you lose your three-year-old boat, you may not find a three-year-old boat on the used market. You only the goal of insurance is to get to back get you where you were before the loss. That's the concept of indemnity. So if someone has to, if their only path there is to buy a new boat, they're not getting, they're not getting a windfall. If you, if you lose a four-year-old boat and you get a brand new one, yeah, you made out, but you didn't crazy make out because your boat was still probably well kept up and oh, almost sure. as good as Sure, that. Once you get over five years old, we try and transition people into market value. Mm-hmm. And that's what you get into this equation. But to answer, I think, the question you were asking, we don't enforce an automatic depreciation because I don't know, first of all, how sharp your pencil is, if you want to be on the high side of the, where you might be. there's Because there's definitely a window of, a, of acceptable values on any given boat. And on a more expensive boat, there could be a $5,000 window. On a cheap boat, it could be a $1,000 window. And it varies. And so we don't predecide that for someone. We say, if you want to decide what your value is, you can call me and discuss it. I have chats with people all the time on boat values. I'll defer them to the manufacturer if it's someone that really wants a nitty-gritty number and it's like, yeah, I'm not really sure. It's like, well, call Hudson, call Fluid. Yeah, call whoever. Who, right, who, who will talk to you, or will talk to you whoever, and they'll help you figure out what a reasonable number is to put on your boat, and then just email me or call me back. I'll read you your paperwork, and off you go.
1: Okay, so then just to recap, if I'm new at, at this thing, all I got to do really do is call you, and you're going to show me and walk me through the value of the current market value of the boats that I, I have. You're going to pay. Uh, you're going to choose the deductible, premium, whatever it is, whatever it is, and that's an annual. Um, that's an annual program, right? You'd, every every year you renew your your premiums.
0: Right, it's just like any other insurance policy at that point.
1: Okay, just like any other insurance. So so when you when you have these conversations with these, with these people, what is a typical cost of a premium? Like, what would it typically cost someone for mm-hmm. boats? Is there a percentage of the value? It's,
0: it's strictly a percentage of the value. So it, it's a little bit less for clubs because they have a bigger list of boats, mm-hmm. and then again, it depends on the deductible. So our, our entire range of premiums is probably from a low of like 1.7, 1.8 for a huge deductible on a big list yeah. to maybe 3.3 for someone that has, you know, just one boat and they don't have anything else going for them. Like we, we throw a little discount for you if you're a member of U.S. rowing, just to wave the U.S. rowing flag a little bit for them. Um, for individuals, if you have over a certain value, you get a little bit of a discount. We also have a minimum premium, so if you're below a certain value, you're paying, like 150 bucks is the least expensive oh, okay. policy sure. can be because it's not worth us putting a policy on the books for less than Yeah, pay.
1: right. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: And I talk people out of insuring, you know, if they've got a $2,000 boat, and I say, okay, let's do the math here. If you insure with me for 10 years and don't have a claim, there's $1,500, mm-hmm. and you got a 250 deductible, is it worth it? And I talk them out of it. Because it's probably not worth it.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I mean that that's good customer service in general. So call um, me
0: back when you buy a new something or other. <laughs> yeah. When you upgrade your boat, give me a call. Or if you got if there's someone else in the family that has a boat, we'll put two boats in the policy. If you have two two thousand dollar boats, you're still gonna be with a minimum premium. So for hundred and fifty bucks you just insured two boats instead of one.
1: Well so then so then what's a good nugget for someone? If 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 they're starting a program and they got a bunch of boats that are worth three or four thousand dollars each do you just bundle it that way, or do you just say, you know what, it's too small, it's not worth?
0: Oh no, if they've got, you know, you know, three or if their whole list of boats is worth more than five grand, even if it's five thousand dollar boats. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, it's only going to cost them a hundred something dollar, you know, hundred fifty bucks, hundred sixty bucks to get started. Sure. And that way, you know, in on a fledging program, money is super tight. Oh gosh. Yeah. So maybe they can afford a few hundred bucks for insurance. If they couldn't afford a few thousand if they flip the trailer. That kind of a thing, I and then once you've got five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars worth of boats, you know your exposure goes up, your premium obviously goes up. Um, honestly, it doesn't make sense to raise the deductible until you get quite a bit more than that. You save a little bit, but you don't save a lot because it doesn't change the insurance company's loss experience. Like if they're shelling out five grand for a claim or forty-seven fifty. Yeah, really you not know, much it difference. It really doesn't change what they paid out, so you got to. Fairly modest credits for going up the deductible chain, but if you have a big list, then it can add up.
1: So this is this is all really uh, educational. I'm glad I'm glad we're doing this, um, and I've actually learned a couple of things here. But my, my, my last question for you is, um, where what's your thought on the future of rowing? Where do you now? You're unique, right? So you are you're handling a large portion of the claims. You're ingrained in the Dad Vale. You're deep in Undine. You've been in this business for a very long time. I'd like to know, from your perspective, where you see the sport going for the future.
0: So the whole sport of rowing you're talking about? The whole sport, yeah. I mean, since I've been involved with it, it's been nothing but growing. Mm-hmm. And I can't say I've seen it shrink. Like, once in a great while, you hear about a program that doesn't quite make it and goes out of business. But sure. there's three or four to take its place. I, I, there's certainly more new programs than, than programs that, that stop. So I just see the sport still growing. They're they're adding it in anywhere that has water. There's the potential. Yeah, to add. that's like, true. Like we insure boats in almost every state. Like it's crazy. Like we've got you know stuff in Alaska. Um, wow, really? Yeah. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty far away. Anchorage Rowing Club and Midnight Sun Rowing Club, and they don't have a very long season, mind you. But um, the big the big deal there is um, we will talk about a claim. So I've yeah. got a claim with uh, an Alaska club. And they bought a Hudson an old used Hudson and on the way there got the stern knocked off and they couldn't make good on the truck that hit it and now the boat's in Alaska and it's so much to get the boat to the United States to fix that it's just turning this crazy claim I've been sh- and then can't get the Hudson to make a piece because it's too old for, a, for them to make up a piece well can Pocock make the piece <laughs> no. Well, I was like, well, how do we get the boat down here? Well, you can put it in a container. I had an idea, like, well, what if, what if we cut the boat in half and made it a sectional? Then you can fit it in a <laughs> container. So we're looking into that, and it's like, well, that that part of it made sense, but they still can't produce Hudson. It's a Hudson boat, and Pococks, where they can get it to them. And Pococks, like, well, we can't. We don't have a Hudson mold. Sure. And like, well, I'm looking on their list. Well, we've got two thousand. They've got two thousand Hudson eight as well as it's ninety nine. It's like, well, what if they made a mold off there? 2000 and sent it with the boat so that's that's now off in limbo wondering (laughs) is that plan going to work so sometimes you really got to think outside the box sure and um, you know i'll dare pat myself on the back that your average insurance agent is going to think about Sectioning a boat and making a mold off of another well, one to solve a claim. You know, to
1: to to. I'm thinking you could do it. Like we if could if, definitely do if, it. like
0: if only finish line was closer to Alaska. <laughs> that was basically one of my thoughts, and I'm not kidding. I actually had that thought. Hey, you know what?
1: Future, future, future location. But you know, I was thinking. You know, you are. You've been in the rowing business for 20 plus years. 25 plus years. You've been rowing for. Thirty plus years, so I can do one
0: more thing on that as far as my length of my rowing career. Yeah, go ahead. So my parents met on Boathouse Row, so I'm literally a product. Wow. of rowing, and back in the early '60s when I was born, my mom, against doctors' orders, raced against some woman in her club that she had to beat while she was pregnant. So I can technically trace my racing history <laughs> back to my first. She win in utero. She did, did win.
1: <laughs> there it is. So, but I, what makes you unique, and I think what makes this company unique is that you are a rower. You are part of the community and I find that when you are a rower in the community it tends to do better than than non-rowers trying yeah. to get into our community I, I'm, selling something or service or whatever.
0: Yeah, I mean insurance is arguably a relatively dry profession, but I get to talk to people about rowing all day. Yeah. Like not all day, but a good chunk of the day, I'm emailing and, and might be a claim and it's not a super glorious thing, but it's still during that conversation we can, you know, Discuss who, who do we know in common? And it's really a you don't need seven degrees of bacon. Like you need two <laughs> yeah. two or three people removed, you're gonna find somebody who knows somebody. Exactly you know. right. Oh, exactly. you know, so so I coach with him. Blah, blah, blah.
1: No, that's a good that's a that's a good point. I mean, what you said was the the sport of rowing is growing, but at the same yes. time, it's so tiny that in five minutes you can figure out how close you are to somebody. You're always connected to somebody yeah. in our sport, right? Yep. And that's a really endearing thing. That's what I I think that's what I'm drawn to it the most. Um, I personally can talk about high school racing till the sun comes up. I mean, I could talk about that for days. Uh, and that's one thing that I really like about our sport, but you're unique. You get to talk about boats and equipment and coaches. I mean, not all day long, but all day long. That's a pretty good place to be.
0: Yeah. My dad had a big impact in my life with rowing and he was very well connected in the, in the collegiate world, but, and also the club world. So people knew my dad. So that comes up fairly regularly. Sure. Um, my mom loves makashi she, she kinda of had her a relatively short rowing career, but still her name comes up so, in
1: So after after she gave birth to you, was her career done at that point or
0: Yeah, I actually never saw her row.
1: No, is that right? right.
0: Only from the inside. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How about your dad? Did he continue rowing at all?
0: Yeah, he um we went out in a double a few times. So here's something i will mention. Like the first time I don't know if it was the first time I was in a boat, but it was one of the first times I was in the boat. He was teaching to row in a gig. Oh wow. So back then he taught me like we had these Big nasty gigs at Undine, and he would tie a rope to the stern of the boat and float me off the dock and just hold on to the rope and then coach me from there because you know I wasn't going go to go out in a long, short row. So, I don't, I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody coach with a rope
1: or before. or in a boat, actually. <laughs> like boat. That, I, that
0: one makes sense to me. Coaching from a single that makes sense to me because you can say, Hey, do this, do not, you know, you can really show him. yeah. But stand there holding the rope, and I'm like, I'm thinking, can I pull him off the dock? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and I couldn't. Awesome.
1: Now, did you, you said you had a brother?
0: I had a brother and a sister. They both rode in high school.
1: And they rode with you, too, at Heritage? It was Heritage, right?
0: We were far enough apart that we didn't row together.
1: You didn't row together. Are you the oldest? I'm the, the oldest. Path? Okay. Yeah. All right. And are they are they involved at all in the business?
0: No, my sister since passed away, and my brother hasn't rowed since high school. Since high school. Wow, geez. Okay. It's his birthday today, as a matter of fact. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Wonderful. Happy birthday
1: to Happy him. Happy birthday, Paul, if you hear this podcast. <laughs> I hope he does. i do send spike. you a link. <laughs> <laughs> we actually got to ask your son to show you how to send the link. because uh... I
0: have I, I, I failed as a father because none of my kids row. Is that right? None of, them. They, none of them had rowing in their school, and they were in other sports and other things. And it just what uh,
1: What school did you send your kids to?
0: That's where we are now, the Hereford School Oh, is that district. right? Yep.
1: So let's. So, as we were talking about, as I said, the last question is about the future of, of the sport. Um, you say it's growing, but um, I mean, you are in a unique spot where you're seeing new boats being built, being covered. Um, do you see this growth trending for, for a long time, or do you see anything slowing down in the future?
0: I'm going to say a little bit of a slowing down if I'm going to gauge the size of our business for how many boats we ensure I can sort of keep track of that. Yeah. And... It hasn't completely leveled off but it's slowed down its growth some of that could be for any number of reasons but I'm not seeing as much growth as I saw maybe 10 years ago in how many boats we insure
1: oh is that right so 10 years ago was kind of like a really big
0: Um, if I looked over the history I'd have to like you know I don't have a chart of how fast it grew or didn't grow but I can see I can remember previous years where it grew more than it's grown the last couple
1: so you know as I as I sit here um, I, I I'm looking over my notes and there are a couple things that really stand out to me in this conversation and I, and I and I really hope the people that have listened to this learned a, a thing or two the one one thing that I really appreciate and I think I'm a big fan of the history of rowing it's the fact that your father and his partners in the 1960s created helped create the rowing insurance industry that we see today I mean yeah. that is a big deal and i'm I'm I, and again, I had no idea that, that was the case. And the fact that Leonard Insurance Group started in the Great Depression with a flyer, handing out flyers to people all around the Philadelphia region, to now being, arguably in my mind, and, and you don't have to agree with me on this one, one of the largest insurance providers in our sport, if not the biggest.
0: I, I, I promote myself as that we insure more boats than anybody else.
1: So then there you go. So so you are providing you're providing a great service for everybody else. And and the last nugget really is. The, the information that you provided the listeners on what to do about starting, uh, the deductibles, the, the values of, of the boats, um, how they what they should be doing to contact you about um, their equipment in the future, the thresholds. This is all stuff that I think young programs starting need to understand. They need to put that in their line item, and they need to make sure that they're insuring their boats from liability to uh, actual loss. And, and even that director
0: of uh, and
1: directors and officers All these things are things. Are these items? Are things that people need to know when they start their business and they start their rowing? Because this is a business. It's very expensive equipment. Um, So, John, thank you for being here on this podcast. I've had a wonderful time. Yeah, I hope you had too. I did. And uh, we'll be talking to more coaches and more folks in the Philadelphia region um, as we enter our second season of Rowers Choice Podcast. Thanks for listening. This is the Rowers Choice Podcast. Horse Choice is made up of Finish Line Shell Repair, Resolute Racing Shells, and Sykes USA.